One in six children ages two to eight years has a mental, behavioral, or developmental disorder, according to data compiled by the Center for Disease Control, or CDC. ADHD, anxiety problems, behavior problems, and depression are the most commonly diagnosed mental health issues for children. My guest today is uh, Debbie Manners, who's the president and CEO of Sycamores, who are just coming to Palm Springs. I think you're just coming. My notes is expanding. Have you been here before, Debbie? Nope. Okay. We're just arriving. Uh, it, it, we started uh, last July with our clinic. And you're Pasadena-based, and tell us what you do. So we are a Pasadena-based uh, originally from 1902. We are one of the largest mental health service providers in Los Angeles County, uh, primarily serving children and youth families, but we do serve uh, an older adults. We um, started out as an orphanage uh, in Pasadena. It's a little interesting information about us. We were founded by the same family that founded the Tournament of Roses and the Rose Parade. Ah, interesting. Yeah, that's pretty neat. So, um, but over the years, over the 120 years, we've really grown. We serve about 17,000 lives a year. We have a wide range of services from residential treatment uh, for adolescent boys to foster homes. We provide school-based mental health services. We're in about 48 schools. Uh, we're in one school in Riverside County already. Um, and then we also have a homeless services program for transitional age youth. So those would be young adults 18 to 25. And we house about 140 uh, every day and provide mental health services and uh, housing support. You know, and I think most adults think about their own childhood. There's sort of a rose-colored glasses uh, remembrance of a carefree youth where your parents provided your every need and you just went to school and hung out with your friends and everything was carefree and lovely and there was never any stress in a child's life. Uh, I suspect the reality is quite different. Can you tell us what that's about? It's quite different. Um, many of the youth, almost all of the youth that we work with have had trauma in their life. Uh, many of the youth we work with and children um, have been removed from their families because of abuse and neglect. Mm -hmm. Or if they're living with family members, they've been witnessing violence in their community, maybe in their home. Uh, definitely have struggled with um, the ability to have three meals a day, to have nice clothes, to even have a car to drive around in with the family member. So it's really a challenge uh, for them. And uh, it's been our commitment to do whatever it takes. You know, oftentimes when we do family work, you know, you can't talk to a parent about their child's behavior if they're trying to figure out how to pay the rent. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really to do whatever we can to help the family and the child uh, really thrive. And, and, and as our tagline is, have a better life. So let's begin with, uh, well, but let's talk about your new facility in Palm Springs just to kind of make the connection, and then we'll, we'll get deeper from there. You're right. So our new facility in Palm Springs is really uh, just 
I call it our anchor program. It's really just the beginning for us. So it is an outpatient clinic. So we provide mental health services to children and families, either in the clinic or oftentimes uh, we will go into the home or into the community to provide those services. And so it would be individual, group, or family therapy. So that's where we're just really just starting to work um, with kids and families. So our hope is to really expand into working with the transitional age youth who are at risk of homelessness or who are unhoused. So that would be our, our next uh, program that we would um, hope to grow into in uh, Riverside County. We will soon be adding psychiatry and medication support uh, in the next couple months because there is a huge need for that as well. Now, when you say youth, can you give us an age range to kind of define what that means to you? Well, typically we go up to age 18 uh, or 21 if they're in the foster care system. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, what sort of practitioners do you have? What uh, kinds of qualifications do they have? Well, we hire clinicians mm -hmm. um, and we hire individuals who've had life experiences with uh, either mental health or substance abuse issues themselves. Oftentimes when someone is struggling with a mental health issue or a substance abuse issue, they are able to engage with others who are have had similar experiences before they engage, they engage with the professionals. And so that's why it's important to bring the peer support uh, employed to the work. What are some of the main issues you see? It sounds like it is mental and physical abuse and drug abuse issues. Is there something else in that list too? Well, you know, as we've all seen throughout the last couple of years with the pandemic, what's really surfaced is depression and anxiety mm. in children. You know, that yeah. really for many, many years, just people didn't talk about, mm -hmm. right? Nobody. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. So the pandemic has really brought that to the surface. And so the need has always been there. The needs now are being addressed and people are talking about it. And so I think, you know, earlier you were referring to people who think about their childhood as not having worries or stress. And uh, I think that that the times have changed and the pressures on children to perform and to do better in school and just the kind of the world has changed. And, and the, you know, the children see that and they watch the families struggles financially. And so it, it is different, I think, than it has been. Um, and we are seeing that in the work and definitely we see that in the work that we do in our school-based mental health programs, just a lot of, depression and anxiety hmm. um, issues with bullying in the schools that we deal with so uh, that's that's where our work kind of goes is to what individually kids need um, so we're really person-centered child-centered and then we work with the whole family to really help change what's happening and what's the connection to the community? In other words, uh, if I'm a child or a 
maybe a parent does this sometimes, uh, and I'm looking for mental health support. Is this something that normally comes from a referral from the school, from a health care provider, or do people just come knocking at your door saying, I need some help, or some other yep. way? All, all of those. All of those. All of, hmm. Yeah, family members will call. Um, <clears throat> typically, it would be an adolescent who might call and ask for help or walk hmm. in and ask for help. Schools call. Um, family physicians will call. Uh, Department of Child and Family Services will call. They'll get a referral through the Behavioral Health Department. Uh, just a variety of referrals. Uh, can you give us kind of a case study? Well, obviously, without naming any names or being too specific. Yeah. Well, I can actually talk about um, one of our stories that I think is sure. just so compelling. <clears throat> and I can use his name. His name is Sergio. He's an adult now, but he was in about 20 foster homes oh before the age of five. Oh, no. So uh, just being passed around quite a bit. Um, he came to the Sycamores the first time when he was 16 and was living in our residential treatment program. Uh, and we were able to find his dad through doing family finding search and then engage the father in the treatment and the care. And it all went very well. And we moved him home with dad. Uh, and Sergio really felt that his dad had turned the corner and um, was able to support him and take care of him. But quickly, that was not the case. No, oh, no. And uh, Sergio was, uh, his father kicked him out uh, about a couple years later. Actually, he was quite 17 when he when he kicked him out. So um, he was found during the pandemic living in an abandoned house. And because he was under the age of 18 and had had a, a history of being in foster care, they were able to find that he had been with us in our residential program a few years earlier. So he came back to live with us and really had a different outlook. Um, previously, his, his desire was to live with his family, but since it didn't work, he changed his mind and his focus was really on working on himself and being independent and being successful as an adult. So he did a great job in school, got excellent grades. He was awarded a scholarship um, to go to vocational school for, from the Tournament of Roses. He moved into our transitional housing program where he lives currently. Uh, he has gotten some um, education around how to be a photographer, which is what he wanted to do. And he now works as a photographer and is doing well. So that I, for, for all of us who do this work, um, you know, that's why we do the work is to see people like Sergio who have just been through the worst, worst things in life, just tragic. That's a, that's a terrible story with a happy ending. How was yeah. he able to finish his education? Yes. Ex yes. Excellent. Good. Yeah. And he's just a great, great guy. I mean, just a good sense of humor and loving and just a wonderful, a wonderful human being. How do you receive financial support? Are you getting money from the state? Do you look for philanthropic donations? Yes, both. So we are primarily funded from the county and the state, 
um, for our mental health services and any of the services that we provide for children who are in the child welfare system. But we rely on donations because the county and the state, they, they pay us to do the work, but to do it really well, you need to pay more. You need to be able to provide services and additional uh, support that's not paid for with government dollars. So, for example, if we're working with a family and their car breaks down and they can't take their kids to school, they can't get to work, they can't come into the clinic to see us, we might help them with that, right? Mm -hmm. We might help them repair their car. So, again, you know, we try to do whatever it takes. And if we we can't provide all those services, then we'll connect them with other resources in the in the community. But it it takes both to do this work well. What about non-financial support? Uh, I'm thinking volunteers, both clinical and uh, you know lay people, as well as uh, support from the business community. Do you need internships or job experience, yeah. that sort of thing? Tell us what your needs are there. Yes. So we use volunteers all the time. So, for example, um, at one of our um, locations in Los Angeles, we have a food bank. And so that is all run by volunteers. Um, We use volunteers at our residential program as mentors. Um, And so there's always a need for volunteers. We need volunteers when we do fundraising events, those kinds of things. And the community support from the local businesses, any kind of in-kind donations. We have a lot of uh, need for diapers and formula that we provide to many of our families. Um, So, uh, And then the internships are so important, so, Mm -hmm. so important, especially for adolescents and young adults who need to learn how to work and um, for us to provide kind of the support and to help guide them while they're being employed so that they are a good employee and can continue to get good jobs, that is that is priceless. Since our audience is primarily the business community as well as education and government, can you give us a couple of specific examples where you have a need that businesses can help you with? Or give us some examples of where businesses have helped you in the past? Well, um, in terms of the internships, there's been businesses um, like grocery stores, furniture mm. stores, uh, Target, for example, have hired some of our youth. Uh, that has just been, you know, so important for the youth to, to really understand, you know, how to, how to be an employee. Um, other donations, in-kind donations... Um, have been very, very helpful. So, for example, in our homeless services program, we've gotten donations of brand new sofas and mattresses and towels and all of those kinds of things that that really um, are supportive. But also, I think, you know, when businesses can just get the word out and talk about sycamores and the great work that we do is just really important um, because when people need help oftentimes they don't know where to turn to get to get that help and so getting the word out is also very important how can they get in touch with you it's a little early in the show to ask for contact information but i want to put it in here because we are talking about volunteering and businesses donating and such so let's go ahead and get your contact information out here 
So the, probably the best way to do that is to go to our website, sycamores.org. Um, and then they can connect via the website. Um, and it talks about different ways that you can get involved. So how, whatever their interest is, that's where they would connect. So if they want to be a volunteer, if they want to donate, if they want to get information about our programs, um, that would be the, the probably the quickest way to do it because um, then the email is going to the right person who can respond. Do you do any kind of proactive outreach to the schools? And let me tell you what I'm thinking while you ponder your answer. Um, I suspect the people that come to you uh, both parents and children are just the tip of the iceberg. You know, the most need needy of the <laughs> children out there. Um, but there's probably a much larger group of folks who are sort of mm, not obviously needing mental health services who are in the school systems. Do you go out and make presentations to the schools or do any kind of in-school uh, counseling? Uh, yes, and so we've been We've just started reaching out to the schools in Palm Springs mm -hmm. and have made some of those connections. So we've just started doing that. How big is the need? Is that one of the reasons you chose the Coachella Valley because you identified a large need here? Oh, yes, the need is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and we, uh, you know, we're just actually, we were actually very surprised how big the need was. Um, until we started getting involved and, and talking to the different communities. And then we realized that the need was even greater than, than what we thought it was. And so we um, have kind of changed our, our implementation plans or our strategy and, and of really um, trying to fast track our growth to meet that need. What sort of outreach do you do to make the community aware? I mean, obviously you're on a program like this, but are are you advertising in certain places? Are you uh, obviously you're making connections with you know key stakeholders like school counselors? What are some of the other things you're doing? You're doing outreach to churches and social service groups. Do you do public service announcements somewhere? I'm just wondering, getting an idea of. Um, the communication outreach you have, probably social media too, comes to mind. Yes, we're doing a lot of social media. We haven't done a public service announcement, so that's actually a really good idea. Uh, but we've been doing social media. Um, we've been talking to the schools. We've been meeting with the different um, politicians uh, in the area and just setting up meetings with the local hospitals, for example. There's... Certainly a lot of young people, especially when they get kind of high school age, that become very community-minded. And it seems to me there's a potential to harness these young people to be ambassadors and advocates for your program. Not necessarily those that have been in your program, but those that are concerned for the mental health and welfare of their fellow students who might be sort of, um, as I say, ambassadors to your services. Have you gone down that path at all? You know, that's a very important part of what can happen in schools, right? Mm -hmm. So those are the peer counselors, particularly people or students who are interested in going into this field. It's an opportunity uh -huh. for them to learn some of the skills and how to talk to individuals who are experiencing some kind of mental health crisis. 
I don't know if you're familiar with 988, but 988 is the phone number now that you call instead of 911 if you're experiencing or someone in your home or someone you care about is experiencing a mental health crisis. And so when you call 988, it goes to a warm line with a trained counselor. Hmm. If that counselor is not able to de-escalate the situation, then in Los Angeles County, they call us and we dispatch a mobile team out to the individual's home or location. If they're homeless, we find them on the street and we provide basically crisis intervention and try to stabilize the individual. So we just rolled that program out a couple weeks ago, six minutes into the first day. Our first call was a 14-year-old who was considering taking his own life. And so we showed up at uh, his home with his mom and we were able to um, stabilize him in a couple hours and we followed up with him and he's doing well. Well, one more time, give us your uh, contact information and uh, anything else you'd like to share. Yeah, well, sycamores.org, just again, visit the website and you can find different ways to contact us depending on what what it is that you're interested in. Um, So it's sycamores.org. And that is the best way to get uh, a hold of us is, is via email. Debbie Manners, the president and CEO of Sycamores, based in Pasadena, now here in the Coachella Valley. Thank you for being on our show today. Yeah, thank you so much. The Public Record Podcast is a public service of The Public Record, the Coachella Valley's business news weekly. If you enjoyed our podcast today, please subscribe and tell your friends. I'm Managing Editor Ken Allen, reminding you to make someone's day with something nice to say.